to show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Off the Mats Podcast. And for this episode, I want to welcome Mr. Dan Joseph, who is the author of Backpack to Rucksack, Insight into Leadership and Resilience by Military Experts. Uh, I connected with Dan um, through email and took a look at uh, some of the notes and research that he had done because he had mentioned anxiety and jujitsu. And those are two key words for me jiu-jitsu for sure and then anxiety because as many of you may know listening to the podcast that i've mentioned i still have regular panic attacks before i go into training it is getting better but um talking here with mr joseph i want to get some insights from him and just kind of learn a little bit more about his research and just his experiences in the army and um on the mats as well so uh dan welcome to the show how are you Hey man, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for the intro. And, uh, yeah, definitely not Mr. Joseph, just Dan, but, uh, Hey bro, the, you being real about panic attacks, I can, I just want to say something about that. Um, you know, we can, we can get into this, but I still struggle with that. And there's been times, I don't know about you, but man, I'd show up to the mats, right. And I'd be in my car and all of a sudden I feel that the heart, you know, increased adrenaline, like, all right, about to go in there. Um, and where I go, it's a madhouse, dude, because it's like an MMA type situation. There's there's uh, an MMA mat going on, Muay Thai, boxing downstairs, uh, jujitsu. So it's like it's crazy, man. A lot of energy. And there's been days where I'll show up and then I'm I walk in and then I turn around and go back to my car like, yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, don't know if I'm up for this today. And then I, I've legit done that like seven times one time. And uh, I realized like, hey, this anxiety thing's real. And I don't feel as stupid talking about this because I've heard I was in the locker room one time. Right. I think it might have been that day or the next day. Um, and this dude came out, was talking to his buddy as they're getting dressed or whatever. And I'm sitting there like looking in the mirror, shaving or whatever I was doing. And he's like, hey, bro, like uh, I didn't see you yesterday. And the other guy's like, yeah, man, I just I couldn't come in, dude. I showed up. And then uh, and then I, I just I realized like I couldn't handle it, man. So I, I I drove home and I remember thinking like, dude, I kind of wanted to go over to that guy. I'm like, bro, thanks for saying that because I felt crazy the other day. So I know people struggle, man. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Yeah. One of the things that I never even knew it, it just, none of this occurred to me, especially growing up. My wife now wonders that when I was a kid, I, I had asthma. I don't know if I had asthma though. Maybe it was panic attacks. Mm. It would like we start. My wife and I started talking about it. And I was like, "Yeah, I never had. You know, I was a runner. I never had trouble with breathing, but I always had trouble at certain times." And then it was like, you know what? That was probably anxiety, just getting the best of me. But it didn't really become a thing until I actually started training. Now, I had a job that made me feel a little funky, but you know, as I look back now, I start connecting. But anytime I would you know, show up to the mats, you know, I'd sit in the car for about 15 minutes, go through some breathing exercises, try to really get myself together and then go in. It, the thing is, you know, go through the warmups and everything, and then you start drilling and I'm still always feeling kind of funky. I don't really feel right until, you know, we go into live sparring and then I get 
dropped on my head or something. I'm like, okay, it's reality. Wake up. You you, you got to be here now. You got to be present. But that that's the thing about, you know, just having anxiety and just any kind of uh, issues with mental health is being present and being aware of it and being, you know, upfront, you know, instead of trying to squash it down and hide it and say, oh, well, it's not a problem because mm-hmm. it becomes yeah, a man, bigger psychology, problem when you do that. Amen. In psychology, they call it anticipatory anxiety. It's basically, you know, when you're going to go to the dentist, right? And you think about getting drilled and, and then you go get a filling or whatever it is. And it's never as bad as you thought. Same thing with joining the military. I thought it was going to be this whole scary situation. Then, then you join and it's like, oh, dude, wait, that was not what everybody made it out to be. Right. And so same with jujitsu. It, it's, it, it applies universally. So yeah, once I learned that phrase, anticipatory uh, anxiety, that's when I realized we all tend to make things a bigger deal. It's a survivalistic mechanism, right? And it depends on our upbringing and, and what we bring to the table. But some of us have it heightened more than others. Yeah, I, I always look at my daughter now with with uh, how she reacts to things. And, you know, I worry. I'd say to my wife, is like, is this something? Is she picking up this habit from me? Like, what's going on? Because years ago she's seven but you know as she's growing up it's like as she's getting older worry becomes a bigger thing for her and then mm-hmm. you know these these scenarios that like she went over something yesterday my wife goes that was a whole scenario of something that it like you just went over a whole thing that i don't think that's ever gonna happen but but yeah i think that is a thing with you know a lot of us like you said going to the dentist you know, going into the army, going into jujitsu. Uh, my my best friend, she talks about ice skating. I'm not crazy about ice skating. It's not my thing to do. I tried it once. I fell a few times. I was like, this is not something I want to pursue. I don't see myself ice skating ever again. And her thing was, well, the big thing is getting over that first fall. Once you get over the first fall, you know, you'll be fine. I was like, mm-hmm. maybe for you. For me, I know that first fall, third, fifth, seventh you know all the odd number falls sucked but the anxiety of that went away like you know after a couple falls it just i kept falling i "I don't want to do this anymore it's like i'm gonna you know play out the rest of the time but no thanks now as far as jujitsu goes or even football when i played football i don't know that i had any nervousness or like any issues going out to mm-hmm. the film. It could be because it was a team atmosphere. So there's a bunch of us there, perhaps. Yeah. One thing that'll help your daughter out. Uh, and I think I learned this from Tim Ferriss, but it, I've studied it in, in uh, psychology as well. So what she may be doing, but what's really common is called catastrophizing. So catastrophizing is thinking the worst case scenario, right? But there's this game you can play where you can catastrophize to the most dramatic, insane extent ever like completely fictional almost and then once you draw that out you realize like oh that's it's never going to be that bad and this is my brain playing tricks on me like literally take it out to the point of you know i'm going to show up to jujitsu and somebody's going to choke me out and then i'm going to wake up and i'm going to be nervous i'm going to cry and then when i cry everyone's going to make fun of me and then i'm going to get in my car and drive home crying and get in an accident and something's going to blow up and the world's going to end just go like off the richter scale with it and then you can almost tease out the ridiculousness in your nervous system. 
and then it puts everything back in perspective and it's it's sort of a creative outlet as well um and i i know you're into comics right so there you go you can create a whole comic strip based off of that create a superhero or something you know a super villain but yeah just fun fun ways to flex with psychology yeah for me what has helped from time to time is i always label myself as an optimist an optimistic realist so you know i go in expecting the best but i'm prepared for the worst to happen and the worst never really happens. it's like what's the worst that happens when i go into training for me the worst that can happen is i don't understand the technique and i keep messing it up and then it comes this game of and my coach and i were talking about this last week with drilling it's like getting it perfect and doing it perfect over and over got to get it perfect and then when we went to live sparring it wasn't perfect but i still hit the move and I think the worst that can happen for me is again, just, you know, even though I hit the move, it's not perfect. Cause in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, sure. I hit it, but it's not perfect. Now I'm going to continue to think about that. Meanwhile, my coach is like, no, dude, you did right. But I continue to beat myself up over it. And, you know, that's a, just something where I always try to figure out where's that coming from? Cause I've never had overbearing, teachers or parents or anyone grandparents no one ever tried to make me feel like i had to be perfect and i don't try to make my daughter feel like she has to be perfect no you know but it's just when it comes to my coaches i'm like oh i gotta be perfect i gotta get this perfect and they're like dude just understand the move and understand the ideal and you know where you're going with the move you'll get there but that's where that anxiety kind of gets me it's like yeah i say okay you know, the worst that's going to happen is I, I completely screw this up in front of coach. And then and it's not even a matter of like thinking that people are going to laugh at me. It's then a matter of thinking, you know, that's why I beat myself up. Am I cut out for this? Even though I've been doing it for mm. eight years, so, uh, uh, like, yeah, about eight years now. Mm. It's like, am I cut out for this? And it's like, you, you know, it just like you said, you start thinking about all the crazy things that goes from there. Yeah, man. So I, the worst thing that could happen to me did happen to me. And that was, um, so like I went into a full blown freeze response and that's because, so when I was a kid, um, I experienced some, some physical abuse. And so what happened is I had to go through therapy after actually because of jujitsu, which is pretty, pretty funny. But, um, when I was on the mats, man, I started freezing up like straight up, just frozen. And the coach was looking at me, my coach was yelling at me, like, what are you doing? execute the move like do the move i just i just showed you this you know i was drilling the reps right but but when i was when i was sparring it when it was live um i got super nervous and i and i shut down and what happened was so just like little little again psych breakdown here um depending on someone's psychological developmental stage in life when they experience a certain trauma or a certain event it'll affect their brain different ways so because i was super young when some stuff happened to me I didn't have a motor neuron response to like offensively protect myself. I could ball up and defend myself. That's because all I could do as a kid was that. Um, and, uh, and like massive dissociation, like leaving my body, not being present for the event, just floating off into a corner of the room is what they say people do when they're like attacked and, and they can't escape the situation. So in jujitsu, I was getting put in situations that kind of made me feel, um, which I didn't know because I, I didn't have like an active memory 
of what went on when I was younger, right? It was sort of trapped in my body. So as my body went through certain um, feelings, certain positions, certain pressure points and whatnot, uh, my nervous system was just like five alarm fire and it just froze. And so I was in my 30s in a flashback from a childhood thing. And uh, long story short, man, when I left the mat mats, I just had some like ruminations, some heavy thoughts, uh, like a lot of like difficulty breathing and controlling my breath and, and just getting my nervous system revved back down. Um, the hypervigilance was like through the roof. And one of my buddies, um, he's a really good dude. He's a total badass DEA agent, like door kicker, does some awesome stuff. And um, he was like, he, he came over and I talked to him about what was going on. Cause I was doing two a days in jujitsu. Right. So I was like getting double doses of this stuff. And he's like, Hey dude, I, you know, I, I want you to go see my therapist. I'm like, what? guys don't see therapists like get out of here you see a shrink bro and he's like yeah man he's like because i would not be able to marry my wife and have the life i have now if it wasn't for therapy so um i went and saw him and yeah man we worked through it and he he got those demons out and it was a it was a heavy process still struggle for sure but i don't really have the freeze response as much you know what i'm saying like i'm able to to work through that but um it, it took active like it took intentional relationships with mentors on the mats to tell them my level of crazy um and ask them like brothers to walk alongside me on the mats to to not make me feel weird weird about this stuff to uh to guide me through it man to remind me to breathe um to help me get back into my body like you were saying right which is so friggin that's so wise you know just that concept of hey be present right now in your body don't be in the future, don't be in the past. You got to be present right now. And it's a lot easier said than done. And, uh, all this stuff applies to, to vets with PTS, man. That's why I try to tell them as much as possible to, to get on the mats. And, and, uh, it helps with like easing self-medication and stuff, you know, to get back in your body, but it's, you pay a price for it though. You know what I mean? You do pay a price. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you actually kind of brought that that up there because i thought about this when our gym kind of had a bit of a change over the last couple years now when i started when we were a smaller gym and you know we we're very very tight-knit and it was like you go there and it's family and, and it's family here now but it's a bigger gym and for me I still like coming back to the mats now with these changes. It, it's a, it, it doesn't feel like before where, you know, I got on the mats, you know, my team is there with me. We're there working together. We're, you know, oh, we talk about competition upcoming or we talk about, you know, just training. You know, again, I was doing two a days as well. So it was like, okay, you know, well, we got this class tonight. Da -da -da. Now I come in and it's more like, I feel like a stranger. So I see the groups. I see people, you know, kind of working well together and, and, you know, buddying up. And I feel like it, and it's still the same people that I've trained with before. It just feels like, Oh, I'm an outsider now. And I think sometimes that's where the anxiety kind of kicks me in the throat. I'm like, uh Oh, like I, I'm the loner again. I've always been mm. that kid though, where I've always been, you know, whether it be when I move, uh, from Detroit to Flint, you know, I was a new kid 
and I, I, you know, was by myself wearing glasses. I was a black kid listening to rock music and Madonna. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was for sure an outcast. You know, at that time, especially in eighty nine, eighty eight, and eighty nine. You know, then when I moved to Newark, Delaware, you know, again, I'm the new kid. I'm the outcast, so I'm off by myself. Wasn't there long. Then we moved here to Maryland, and by this point, I'm whatever. 14 maybe i've kind of set in my ways now i am that guy i'm just a loner i'm going to try to fit in but i'm not going to compromise who i am to fit in so and that's how i feel now even with the mats and you know it i love my gym you know a lot of great you know guys and gals there but i also don't want to feel like when i go in i'm wedging myself into like hey you guys are you know working on you know, lasso. I want to work on lasso. Can I work on lasso with you guys? Meanwhile, I'm not a lasso guy. If, you, if I end up in lasso, it was definitely an accident, and I don't want to be there. So I don't know. It, it's, man, that it, that really impacts me, dude. I, sorry to interrupt, but no, I, I was good. a loner too, man. I just want to say, like, loner to loner, bro. It's it's cool. It's cool to meet another one who owns it, right? Um, yeah. I like it because it, what I what I learned is that. That ties into divergent thinking so it makes you a unique individual because all those all that that recipe that that formulates who you are that gives you a unique lens in life and that's your value to humanity to society is now you're this person who bridges gaps you're this person who can exist in that that awkward place where people that limbo where people would feel so uncomfortable you know those people have to fill silence with words like they're not comfortable being in that place where something feels out of sorts but when you're that guy who lives, that that's your zip code, right? You're you're almost like, I don't know, a, a Sherpa to people. Like you can guide people through that, through feelings of loneliness, through isolation. You can give people language to understand their feeling states because you you exist as an outlier and you can see the herds and how they operate. So I just I just want to affirm that in you, man, because that that touched my heart because I've always felt kind of like apologetic for it but then you can't apologize for who you are because then what kind of life is that um so i almost and you know talk about comics and superheroes that's where i see like the idiosyncrasies in our in ourselves that makes us our that that is our superpower right the stuff that we were made fun of you know um that's the kind of stuff that makes us great if if we can embrace it and own it um and that's i'm still trying to do that so i just want to say thanks for mentioning that no, thank you. Um, I mean, you, you you set the table, and I just I just ate. Um, I think you know, like you said, there you can't apologize for being who you are. And I I I used to find myself apologizing a lot for no reason. I still do. You know, I like just I'm an apologetic person. And. But I, but for who I am, though, I don't apologize. And I was just talking to a buddy yesterday about this with the podcast. I have three different podcasts, and they're all, you know, uniquely me. It, and I was told, you know, by a few people, you know, hey, I can get this person on the show for you. I can get that person on the show for you. It's like, I don't want those people on the show. No offense. I want to talk to people that, you know, I have interest in knowing their story, number one. Number two, I want to speak to people that, you know, there's a connection, there's a rapport built there where I don't feel like, you know, we could both just be sitting here. Like, I have notes. I have questions here, 
I could just very easily sit here and ask these questions and it's super <laughs> dry and yeah. it's like, oh my God. It, and I don't, I never <laughs> want the show to ever be that. I want the show to feel very, you know, just laid back and you can be comfortable. I always tell people, you know, when you're around me, never feel like uncomfortable. Don't feel like you can't be you because I'm for sure going to be me. And sometimes it can get weird. And I want others to embrace the weirdo in themselves. If they, if they feel that comfort, go for it. And, and there are times where, again, that's how I beat my anxiety mm. is realizing like, look, we all have these weird things going on. Like coach used to always say to me, be first. When you get on mm. the mats, be first, get your grips first. If you're going to go for the takedown, be first. If you're going to pull guard, be first, be first. And like, there are times where I get into a room and it's like, okay, we're, we're all awkwardly sitting here. All right. Be the first one to break that, that mm. awkwardness by showing that you are awkward. So. Yeah, yeah man. You know what I really, you know who I, uh, really admire on the mats are those guys that come up there's always that there's one or two guys when when there's like 20 of us posted up warming up or just stretching before class and they'll go around the perimeter of the room and shake every single dude's hand hey thanks for being here thanks for being here good to see you i mean i don't even know the guy right but that to me and that's what i love about jujitsu man it's got such a primal feel to it it's got such a tribal feel where he doesn't care that i'm a stranger i'm on the mat that he's going to train on uh, he's going to trust me to choke him out to to put his vital you know his vital uh i guess organs whatever it is just a carotid jugular in my grip right and to let go i mean that's that's a level of trust that's a level of love and respect that we have for each other and uh it always impacts me when i see someone do that because there are times where i'm so in my head i'm all about my problems i'm being selfish um you know i'm easily self-centered right i mean that's just one of my struggles in life and and jujitsu reminds me um dude it's not about you man this is about the people around you you're going to make them better they're going to make you better sparks are going to fly because when iron sharpens iron that's what happens right sparks fly so it's not going to be pretty there's going to be tough roles there's going to be tough personalities but um like be present through that you know look at people in their eyes make that comfortable eye contact this isn't fight mode right and i have to dude i have to talk to myself like this often there are some days man i'm on a good streak you know things are good um, I'm able to manage my, my, uh, nervous system, my anxiety, all of that. But when there's something going on, um, oftentimes it's hard for me to recalibrate that. And then I, I look towards those people who come to the mats and are, they, they're struggling with their own stuff cause they're human too, but they're at least showing up and being present in a way that's, I don't know, it's just so authentic. And so, uh, it's inspiring to me, man. And it makes me want to be a better, a better human being, um, just less selfish you know absolutely understand and agree it, there's just this this thing to it where i mean again it betters you 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 know if you're just outward you know you're looking out to take care of your team you're looking out for your team you know like you said when you're out there on the mat you know you're there to make each other better i feel that mm. that not just only translates on the mat but also just you know physically but also mentally you know mm -hmm. i have a teammate he and i we message each other uh probably yeah every day then and, and a lot of times it's just 
you know, he'll say, you know, I'm, you know, I got this thing going on on the mat, you know, I'm competing. I'm not sure how I feel about this. And they're just, you know, you know, things like that, that I feel like it's important that, you know, we are comfortable to open up about where we feel safe. Um, mm. Like I, I'm wanted to ask you, I guess, you know, one thing when it comes to people being open about it, because I see, a, mm. I post a bit on my Instagram about um, mental health awareness. And I get a little bit of pushback sometimes from mm. people, uh, you know, mainly people who say, well, you know, if you keep thinking about this stuff, it's going to be a problem. Mm. It's like, well, <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to think about it. Trust me. Like a lot mm. of stuff was a problem before, you know, social media was a thing mm. um you know wh like what are your thoughts on people who kind of give that pushback so i would say and this is look we all have inherent biases right so take this with a grain of salt because i, I try to be as objective as possible but i'm human so there's going to be subjective aspects to what i say so based on my purview on on how i've lived in life that that to me could seem like a defensive mechanism and this is why um by telling somebody don't put language to it because words are powerful things. In the military, we always say words mean things. It sounds so you know dumb. I hate hearing it, but it's it's super powerful, philosophically speaking. When you put words on something and you create a label for it, and this is super important, don't ever label yourself. Label, label a situation, label a feeling, but don't label yourself. This is man, we can I can rant about that for days, but it's super important. Anyway, um, when you when you create labels for a psychological phenomenon it allows you to then understand that enemy like in the military if i don't know what the enemy is if we don't know the enemy's capabilities and who they are and their intent then it's a ghost it's going to be this ethereal um ubiquitous fear that sets in but once you know what the enemy is right you can box them in these are their dimensions these are the parameters these are this is the enemy's striking distance this is the weapons that they have this is the the payload that they carry um, here's all the different avenues of approach they would take most likely course of action, most deadly course of action. This is how we assess the enemy in the military. Okay. So psychologically speaking, it's, it's, it's just as real as that process. Um, and what this person may be doing is by you mentioning this, they say, if you throw a dog, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit by the rock. So I would, maybe look into this well it depends how close you are to this person but think about what you just said may have impacted them personally and they're saying hey man i don't want to admit this stuff to me so therefore by you labeling this and putting it out there now i have to see it so sweep it back under the rug don't talk about it otherwise you're weak and look man if you repress an emotion it's it's going to compound it you can't repress a feeling state and make it go away it needs to be repress people are it's it's awkward man seeing them live life because they explode in different ways it's like squeezing jello it's going to come out somewhere else right um and uh man there's so much i want to say another thing is mental health is such a canned word right now there's so much that here's the issue with psychology when the mainstream media or mainstream public gets word of it um or gets a handle on it they'll and it's not it's not our fault for doing this. If, if you don't have a clinician's background in it and, and you haven't studied it in a deep manner, people throw words on things that it's, it feels like lip service to an extent, 
is one aspect of like, okay, everything's mental health, everything's anxiety. Um, and I totally understand that. And I can appreciate the, the, the frustration of that. Um, but when you go into the nuances and you do state, Hey, there's, you know, there's specificity in how we're experiencing this stuff. Um, there's different types of anxiety. There's different types of trauma. And even those words again are, are like so overplayed, right? Everybody's posting about this stuff, but what's important is to realize we can care about the specifics. We can care about the individual stuff without making huge blanket generalizations that everyone has to put up with. Um, and now I'm kind of going to the weeds, so I'll shut up after this, but I would say that, um, his argument is valid because he's, he's got his opinion for sure. But for him to say, you know, you shouldn't post this stuff because now you're creating the problem. That's, that's a psychological, uh, control mechanism right there that happens usually and I'll stop with this. It happens from what I understand from what I've studied. When you look at systems, right? Not just um, dyads, which is like interpersonal dynamics, like me and you. But when you look at group dynamics of people and cultures, when somebody says, I need you to stop talking about that because you're the problem when you talk about it. Now, you know, it's the elephant in the room, but they say, if you mention the elephant in the room, you are the problem that's a sign of an unhealthy organization, an unhealthy system, because it begs the question, why are you invested in keeping the elephant invisible in the room? That creates cognitive dissonance. If somebody is invested in creating and supporting cognitive dissonance, a lot of questions need to be asked and that's uncomfortable. Absolutely. And there have been times where I've kind of, you know, half pushed back at people with that. I don't do it too often because I don't get into the comments too often because that that causes a whole nother issue in itself. But once in a while, I'll, you know, well, for the mental health posts, I look at the comments because I've had a few people reach out through the comments and, you know, I'll fire back and we'll talk in the DMs. But, you know, from time to time, you'll come across someone that has something, you know, nasty to say. And, you know, like one of the words you said earlier was trauma. And that's a big one that people hate to see now is trauma because everything is trauma, this trauma, that. And the unfortunate thing is it exists. And we kind of have to address it to, to an extent to get over it because you know, there, there are things that happen to us that, you know, we may not even remember, you know, something might trigger, there might be a song that plays and then you're like, holy shit, like, what is this about? And then now you got to dig deeper and, you know, before long, you've pulled a bandaid off a, a, a wound that probably, you know, needs the air, but, you know, initially you're like, maybe I shouldn't have pulled at that, that bandage. And, you know, you, we have so many uh, scenarios now, especially with people being more vocal, you know, talking about their own traumas, almost to the point now where, you know, the gentleman, as an example, who said, hey, don't post about this, you know, for them, it could just be like, you know, this is all I'm ever seeing anywhere now. Like, I'm like, I come to your page to not see this. And 
as I've explained to a couple individuals who asked me to stop posting mental health stuff on my jujitsu page, I explained to them, like, look, you know, number one, it's my page. So I will post what I please. Number two, you don't have to be here. And that sounds kind of dickish. I get it. But I'm, I, I'm very blunt about that. No one's telling anyone to follow anyone else. And then number three, you can make your own page and post. All, you, you can take the stuff that I post. You can take all the jujitsu memes and technique videos. You can take those all because I, I repost them from other people, too. So you can take all those things from me and disinclude the mental health stuff if you want and make it your own thing. But I'm going to continue to do this because there might be one person that sees that and it 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 helps them. And yeah, man, if, yeah. if it one hit hits one, I've done my Perfect. job. Absolutely, man. And that's that's so brilliantly put what you said. I mean, this whole concept of yeah just trying to police you up right for what you're saying it's like dude this is my page this is what's on my heart right now and i understand if if someone says hey like if i'm here on your page i only want you to curate jujitsu information because that's why i'm coming to you but then again that's their expectation right that's not the reality their expectation is it should be only jujitsu but in reality you're a human being who can make off-the-cuff decisions and that's part of your creative makeup and who you are and your freedom right as a as a person on this planet so they they should look into like you said they can go into their own page but then and create their own page or create their own content but i would want to ask them and this is tough man and this isn't like me trying to be disrespectful or on a soapbox because i needed to ask myself that and i still do today um why am i reacting like that people do not like to ask why when you tug on that thread like you said you can pull a Band-Aid off a bleeding artery and then realize like, holy smokes, I need a tourniquet in my life. I don't need just this Band-Aid, whatever the issue is. Because self-disclosure is tough. Disclosing things to ourselves from, from life in general is just, it's really tough to do when it's the ugly truth. But um, it's important for us to ask like, why am I so pissed off? And what's common in my life, if I don't like somebody, say I see, see somebody on the mats in jujitsu and they're just obnoxious right and they're just you know way too violent or out of control emotionally or just disrespectful or condescending a lot of this stuff were ego defensive mechanisms i used to have in life when i was self-medicating i was drinking alcohol i was you know doing drugs i was in in a lifestyle where i didn't want to admit what happened to me in the past um i had this this armor up right that's why i love this is why i love um like the avengers and comics because if you look at every single superhero they represent a psychological maladaptive behavior that's been become a superpower maladaptive meaning it's not the healthiest thing but now they're using it as a strength so take iron man iron man has this this suit of armor right but what is he inside he's a, an insecure dude doesn't have a great relationship with his father right Com feels completely abandoned by his father um has a massive ego narcissistic ego defenses um but he knows that he's frail he knows that he's just some some rich kid who inherited a company that doesn't feel um super worthy so he creates a suit of armor that's that is a heroic figure of justice and you see this in jujitsu you see guys show up and some of them will just posture man they'll grip way too hard they'll grab at your throat they'll throw a knee or an elbow when they're not supposed to because they're spazzing and they're out of control and it's like dude stop trying to act strong right now I need you to just like do the technique take a breath like let your nervous system come back down 
and stop trying to be this superhero on the mats. Like none of us are trying to be superheroes. I mean, you don't see a black belt do that. Black belts are the most gentle people when they grab you, you know, when they're, when they want to execute the move, then they'll, they'll pull and they'll tug and they'll do whatever the, the death roll that they're going to do to, to snap you off. Right. But initially they don't come at you with this, like, Oh, I need you to know that I'm the boss. I need you to know that I'm the big guy here. Right. There's this humility to it. And, uh, anyway, a lot of this has to do with what people do to compensate. And I was doing a lot of that earlier and jujitsu helped break me out of that because there were people alongside me that can say, Hey man, you do that again and I'm going to check you. Right. Um, or they'll just straight up put that knee of justice or that shoulder of justice on me and make sure that they hammer it out of me. So I don't behave like that because it's disrespectful on the mats. So I, I just don't know where I went with this tangent other than to say, our egos do come out on the mats and in our subconscious behavior as well. Um, but what's, what's really cool. So posting something online or being passive aggressive in a conversation, um, is one thing, but you try to pull stuff on the mats. And I love that phrase, man, that the mats don't lie because somebody's mm-hmm. going to feel it and they're going to react to it. And then you get in real time, a physical response to, to the attitude or behavior that we carry in. And it's, it's corrective. It's a corrective action and it might feel violent at times, but I believe it's done in love because what would be unloving is to let me go back in the world, carrying myself the way that I do. Cause I'd rather be punched in the face on the mats by a brother that I trust than punched in the face by an enemy in the world that I didn't see coming who just right took me out. So man, sorry, just went on a rant there. I don't know that it's, that's awesome. That's that's what I love about doing podcasts this way, especially is I like to have that room for just open conversation, open thought, because like I said, I got questions here. And honestly, as I even look at the questions, I don't even know how to ask these questions. Like, it's like <laughs> they're simple questions, but it's like, I mean, we've gone so deep. It's like, I don't know. My questions now feel like let's just keep the conversation going. Like we're rolling here. Uh Actually, when you mentioned the superheroes uh, analogy there, my wife was walking by and I had a a picture that a friend of mine gave me years ago. I was like, oh, my God, I want to get to that picture. I got to, you know, bring this up. And like I flagged her down. I was like, hey, hand me that. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, DC uh, heroes. And it basically says in today's world, superheroes have issues, too. It talks Mm -hmm. about Batman. He needs anger, anger management. Uh, uh, Dr. Fate painfully shy because he's behind his mask. Uh, Green Lantern, he's green with envy. Uh, the Joker, just crazy. Uh, you know, Superman, dual personality, Riddler, bipolar. Uh, you know, it's just all these different things. And, and granted, it's meant as a joke, but it is true when you look at you know our heroes, you know, in the media, in in, in the sense of comic books. Uh, you know, just, just entertainment period, you know, it's a, you know, kind of a show that, you know, that's up because this is what, you know, the media, you know, uh, paparazzi, whoever the hell is in their face with microphones all the time, taking pictures. So it's like, here, I got to give you this thing. I mean, using Iron Man as that example, I mean, you know, just looking at the movie, you know, you see this guy who's, you know, a genius inventor, and he does have all these issues behind behind the uh, the mask. I mean, in the comics, 
uh, back, I want to say it was 77. So a year before I was born, they did the story called 76 demon in a bottle. And he's an alcoholic. He he's mm. drunk in his armor out there fighting and getting his ass kicked. And, you know, that became a huge story because for that time, especially, you know, this wasn't something that was being kind of talked about in this in this media. So, you know, that but that's kind of one of those first times you really kind of see those layers getting peeled back and saying, oh, wait a minute. He's hiding stuff. He's he's putting on this armor to get away from who he is now, who he is, follow him into the armor and it's causing mm -hmm. a bigger problem. And, you know, I, I get with Robert Downey Jr. in his history of substance issues, he did say in the interview that he would not ever want to adapt the demon in the bottle story to film if they asked him to, and, you know, understand mm -hmm. and respect it. Uh, but it would have been interesting to see, you know, that, that, kind of brought to, and he touched on it a little bit in Iron Man too, just a little bit to show uh you know when he was at the party he was drinking. Um but you know like you said you know we have like in jujitsu especially kind of a similar thing. You know when uh my foster mother passed away uh back in 2019 April 2019 I was on the mat like I found out Tuesday night I trained Wednesday morning and I remember just kind of stuffing it all down, going on the mat, trying to lose myself in the reps and, you know, then, then sparring. And then afterward, I remember just sitting on the side of the mat and just, just, it all just poured out. I just started crying like uncontrolled, uncontrollably. Um, and, and it wasn't even a, a matter of like, you know, I'm trying to hide or anything, or I want people to come over. It was just, this is just me in my bubble right now. This is, and I think that's an important thing with jujitsu, even though it is an individual sport, it is a team sport as well. Um, but when you're on that mat, you know, and you're going through whatever you're going through emotionally, mentally, that is an individual thing that does lend itself to the, the team and family as well at times. But you know, there are times where, like, if anyone came over to me, I don't know that I would have really spoken about what was going on mm. just in that moment because mm. it was still so raw at, at the time because, you know, this lady saved my life and mm. I knew she was sick. And, you know, I'm sitting there things like, fuck, I can't save her life. You know, mm. what can I do? So, um, you know, th there's a lot of stuff going on in that moment. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just the world we live in. This is uh the similarity is amazing in that regard because, uh, my dad, he was dying. Uh, he passed away, uh, on the 4th of July, a couple of years ago. And, um, I kind of say that proudly because so my, my family, they're, they're immigrants to this nation, right? So they left, uh, Iraq back in uh, the seventies and we're like a Christian minority over there. And so, um, not not the prettiest existence and so america was just the symbol of freedom that they you know they dreamed of as teenagers right so they were listening to to elvis presley and the beatles they were watching james dean and marilyn monroe like all on tv over there bootleg films and we're just like we got to get to this country like that's a place where we can be free you know they just they love that whole aspect and so my dad was a huge patriot having two kids that are in the military he was super proud of us and so anyway him passing on fourth of july i was like man i think dad planned this because he was dying of heart disease for a while and uh 
And I feel like he's the kind of dad where he'd be like, don't cry for me when I die. Like I lived my life, go live your life. Like, don't feel sad for me. And as soon as he passed away, I was on a, um, on a, on a building by the hospital on a parking structure by myself, you know, the loner that I am just trying to process this. And then I forgot it was the 4th of July and the entire horizon lit up with firework shows. And I'm like, dude, my dad had to have planned this because I can't be bummed out on the 4th of July. But that morning, man, I was doing jujitsu with my buddy who, uh, he's, a, he's a Marsoc Marine now, total badass, really good dude. Um, so yeah, I'd say his name, but op, you know, OPSEC, I can't, I'm not allowed to say it. So he get mad at me, but love you, buddy. If he listens to this. So I, I hit him up and I was like, Hey dude, uh, it was like my dad's like fifth time in the hospital getting, you know, on his quote, like deathbed or something. We weren't sure. Cause he wouldn't take his meds and he would, anyway, anybody who has an elderly parent who's going through this stuff, you get it when they're not taking the medicine. I'm fine. I feel good. I'm not going to take the meds, whatever. So, um, so I was kind of like desensitized to this because the family's always like, dad's going to die. And I'm like, dude, he's been going to die, you know? So I was, I hit up my buddy. I was like, Hey dude, I need to do some jujitsu with you. Like one-on-one. -on -one. And we were, we do like marathon rules where we go like 60 minutes, sometimes like uh 90 minutes, no breaks, just roll after roll after roll. Cause we know each other and we have that trust and that camaraderie. So I hit him up and we were rolling together um, and I was getting texts from the family like, hey, dad's not looking good. He's intubated. And I thought like, there's no way dad's going to die today. Like he's not going to die today. But um, regardless, I'm going to get this rolling because it's my therapy. This eases my mind, right? I can't be there for my family out of, uh, you know, out of my mind and anxiety through the roof. I need to center myself. I need this connection right now. So my buddy, we just rolled together. And it was awesome. It was just, it was brilliant. And, um, then I got, you know, a phone call and it just, it, they were like, Hey, you might want to come up. This might be it. Um, and I thought, okay, you know what? L let me go up there. I got my roles in. It's probably nothing, but I'll come up. Sure enough. That was the day my dad died, but my dad knew what jujitsu meant to me. He knew how important it was for me and, uh, try not to get too emotional here. Um, <clears throat> You know, I told my buddy, I was like, you know, for the rest of my life, bro. Cause I, I texted him, I was like, hey, my dad died today. Um, later that evening, passed around like 6 30 PM. And I told him, I was like, I just want to say thank you for doing jujitsu with me today because the rest of my life I get to know that the day my dad died, like you were there for me. You know, you were there on the mats with me. You helped me recenter myself and ground myself. And my father would never fault me for that. He'd be proud of me to say, Hey, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you went, I'm glad you went and did jujitsu. I'm glad you went and got physical and, and did that. Right. And so, um, that's forever like imprinted in my mind that literally the scariest moment of my life to me was losing my dad. My whole life. I was like, I can't handle losing my father. It'll completely shatter me. And that was one of the most, I was like the strongest ever on that day. There was so much peace in there and like faith had a lot to do with it, man, for sure. Um, but jujitsu was like, it's married to my faith. Like it's married to my spirituality. Um, and, and there's no greater feeling than like when this, I have, I don't want to say this like in a crass way, but I'm just going to say it. Then when you lose your dad, but you realize how solid of a man you are, because that's, that's not saying like, you don't need your father to be strong. It's, it's sort of, it's a testament to him 
helping you become that, you know, whether or not he really directly did that. Cause God knows that me and my dad, we didn't like each other for a lot of our life. We didn't really connect until just before he was dying. Um, because I was in the army and I told him, I was like, dad, if you die and I'm in the army, I'm not coming home. I'm not leaving training. Uh, so if there's anything you want to say, we got to get it out now. Right. And it was cool because we had this eye to eye moment. Finally, man, finally, where we saw each other and, um, yeah, it's, it's all just, it's all one big journey, you know, um, and jujitsu got me into my body. It made me face my past. It made me connect with my feeling states. And that allowed me to be pissed off. It allowed me to be angry. It allowed me to, to confront people, not in an aggressive manner, in a violent manner, but in a matter of fact way. So the more solid I was becoming in jujitsu, the more solid of a son I was to my dad. Because if I'm not going to go on the mats and just be creamed by anybody now, now I'm starting to, to understand how to fight, understand how to grapple, how to throttle violence, as I say. Well, I'm going to come back from the mats. And if my dad says something that, that upsets me, hey, we're just like in jujitsu, like, hey, bro, you touch me like that again, it's going to be a fight. So I need you to please like, you know, check yourself. Don't come at me like that. We're just drilling. We're not here to fight, right? I would start having that vocabulary with my dad. Hey, dad, like, look, you know, you just said that. I don't, I don't want to cuss at you, dad, but I, I got to let you know, if you say that again, I'm going to cuss at you. So, you know, it, it, I started having these discussions where it allowed me to feel real and authentic. So then by the time he did die, I didn't have any regrets because he knew everything about me and I knew everything about him. We had this moment of transparency and dude, I have to say it's because of the guys I met in jujitsu, man, because they taught me what it's like to talk about my feelings while at the same time exerting violence. And that to me is, is where dudes are different because when the guy who can break your neck is also teaching you how to control your breath, I mean, bro, it's, Oh, there's something so magical in that, dude. Like, just, it's badass. Yeah, that's, I think that's an important thing there, too. Um, you know, just as you mentioned, the vocabulary, you know, that you carry from training to now your outside conversations, you know, just just regular life. Just your approach to things. I, I always feel like I, I fancy myself a patient person. I'm not quick to attack. I'm, I'm very, very, you know, observant of what's going on. You know, I used to teach preschool and then I had, you know, several children that had, you know, you know, just bad tempers and bad attitudes. And, you know, instead of, you know, sending them to timeouts, you know, trying to figure out what's going on here first, you know, I would have teachers send their kids down to my classroom as the punishment classroom. Like, I'm going to send you down to Mr. Dante. And I remember I had this one specific young man and he would come down and I just have him set up lunch with me and talk with him. He was super calm, peaceful, everything. It was never a problem for me. And even in my field of work now, I, I work with um, uh, intellect, intellectually delayed individuals. Um, I guess I, th I think that's the lettering that it goes in. But, uh, you know, I work with um, these individuals and one of the uh, guys that I work with, everyone talks about how much of a problem he is. And I'm like, he's not a problem at all. You just got to listen to him. Like, understand him, understand the situation. If, if he's upset about something, don't get upset with him. 
try to understand why he's upset. And I think about that, you know, when violence is coming my way. And sometimes there's violence that's coming your way. It's like, I'm not trying to understand this. I got to stop it before it happens. But there are more often than not situations that I've been in where it's like, this guy is, you know, drunk, you know, so I'm not going to necessarily beat the guy up, but I can restrain him. I, I can, you know, keep this guy in place and then get him to calm down versus flexing my ability and saying, oh, I can get this guy, in, you know, in a um, arm bar and snap his arm and that won't be a problem at all. No, just, you know, get his back and just seatbelt grip. That's enough to calm most people down. I was like, holy shit, I'm stuck. This guy's on me like a backpack. But um, it's just like kind of bringing that that vocabulary and, and that mindset from the mats into your real world. You know, whether it be, you know, having a discussion with your dad and it's like he's saying things that you're not liking. You, you, you're letting him know like, hey, I don't want to go here, but I will versus just flying off the handle and like. Because I see it so many times with people. It's like someone says something, they jump right into argument mode. It's like, hey man, like that that could have all been avoided if ego wasn't a factor in there. You know, that's a huge thing, is ego. Uh, like now, when you were talking about training um on the day that your your dad died, and you were saying, you know, this is your therapy, uh I oftentimes see the comment jiu-jitsu is my therapy really a lot of things weightlifting is my therapy jiu-jitsu is my therapy football is my therapy you know and i've gotten pushback on that as well <laughs> therapy is therapy you can't use jiu-jitsu mm. as therapy what are your thoughts on you know kind of th that kind of uh mindset towards people finding a, a outlet i mean look jiu-jitsu is the reason i went to therapy jiu-jitsu forced me to have panic attacks Jiu-jitsu forced me to have flashbacks. And then that opened the door for me to go to therapy. Because again, the mats don't lie. So whatever I was bringing in, those demons that I had in me, bro, they came to the mats with me, right? And so because of jujitsu, it it immediately opened the door for, for therapy. So now look, to an extent, yes, I understand what and the sentiment behind that. Because had I not gone gone to therapy and I kept going to jujitsu, those panic attacks got louder and louder and it got to a point where i didn't want to be alive after about a, two weeks of of two a days and constant flashbacks not knowing because i didn't know what the flashbacks were that's why i say words are important labels are important because it was a feeling state it was experiential in psychology we call it like phenomenological i was feeling this phenomenon in my body but i didn't know what it was so eventually my brain got tired because hypervigilance can only last for so long and Guys with PTS understand this, man. Um, this is what this is why I wrote a book. Because everything I explained in jujitsu, I had a combat veteran tell me he started crying. I started crying. He's like, dude, everything you said that happens in jujitsu, I've been feeling that in my body since Iraq. And um, that's heavy stuff, you know. But going back to that question about therapy and and jujitsu, um, when I was having those anxiety attacks, man, I, I didn't want to be alive. After about two weeks, I, I was exhausted, dude exhausted i just thought like god if i woke up dead it'd kind of be a relief i thought of like death almost felt like control alt delete where it was like this reset of like give me just a friggin' neural give me a brain reset because this is not ending like the sky felt heavy the ground felt like it was going to break from under me and i was going to fall into this abyss like it just felt super heavy 
And then, um, and so in that regard, jujitsu couldn't have necessarily fixed me. It, it got me to a breaking point. And with therapy, I was able to then grieve. I needed to access grief, man. I had to grieve like, like belly cries, like just this ugly cry, man, about some stuff that happened earlier in life. Now, at the same time, therapy wouldn't have just helped me do that because I needed jujitsu at the same time to then like get back into my body and to notice that difference and to access more of those memories, to access more parts of myself. And here's the other thing. Therapy could shine a spotlight. Like it can create those labels, those that vocabulary. This is what you're experiencing. This is, you know, like my therapist was like, dude, you've got um, textbook criteria here for, for early childhood abuse. Like, um, what did he say? Significant. He's like, it was significant abuse. And the way he just dropped it, right? So clinically, so sterilely. I'm like, hey, can doc, can you can you repeat that again? Cause like this is the first I know this is normal for you as a therapist, but this is the first time in my life I've ever been able to say this or hear this out loud. I need you to say that again. Then he said it again, then I started crying. So I felt so it felt like so naked, bro. Just crying in front of another dude felt so stupid, but I needed to do it, man. And I'm I'm glad I did it. But then um, you know, he said he's like, you can either quit jujitsu. And not have to go into these feeling states again. Um, you can self-medicate. You can take tranquilizers. God knows how many dudes will prescribe you meds. Or you stay sober. You go back to the mats. And it's exposure therapy. But there's no psychological criteria for that. So I can get oh, I can get what's called flooding. Some people would say triggered. But it's flooding. Emotional flooding. So the right brain. If I go to jujitsu, And some guy clocks me in the jaw with his elbow. Based on what I experienced as a child, I will see red fast. I will think very violent thoughts very quickly because that's flooding. Now, my left brain logic would say he bumped my chin with his elbow. Not a big deal. My head is still intact. My right brain says it's a fight. You are going to be victimized like you were when you were a kid. So you need to rip this guy's throat out. So there's a left brain, right brain situation where then I have to start thinking this is this is. It's not just left and right brain, but then there's prefrontal cortex, which is your your executive functioning, but then you have your brainstem, your fight flight response, your amygdala, where it says you better fight or you're going to die. So then the, the primal mechanism gets revved up at the same time. But then my prefrontal cortex has to say, do not rip this guy's throat out. It's jujitsu. He's not coming after you. This isn't, you know, that was in the past. This is in the present. So out of respect for this guy, use your adult words. Do not react like you want to react, right? And I, it's, it's a process, man. Even right now, I had to take a deep breath because this is still the struggle I have. So I have to say like, hey man, I need, I've had to tell guys in the middle of a role, like, hey, I, I need I need 30 seconds to breathe. Just one second, dude. Because because a guy, especially if it's like multiple elbows, right? Or something sloppy. Or I'm like, hey dude, for, for your, I don't say this, but in my mind, I'm like, for your safety, I, I need 30 seconds. Like, let me just hit pause real quick, breathe for a second, and then go back in calmly. But you want to know one of the coolest things that jujitsu did for me, bro, that therapy could have never done. I was, um, I got clocked in the face. So there's this guy who, um, was a higher beltman than me, upper beltman. And he, uh, he purposely tried to go for my throat a couple times. And I knew, I knew. He was being a dick because I know 
I roll with great guy. One of my mentors, he's a black belt in judo and a black belt in jujitsu. Amazing guy. And we would do marathon rolls during the lockdowns. We had this underground thing going on where we'd roll 90 minutes, no breaks, double black belt. Right. And so he taught me a lot about how to, how to control, you know, violence and all that. So after this match with this guy, I started breathing super Zen during the match. I'm like, I'm not going to let him get under my skin. And as I'm rolling, I'm like, holy smokes, my nervous system is not revving. And boom, again, disrespectful move. Again, disrespectful move. And then I thought like, all right, this guy's a chomp, but just get through the five minutes. And then after the match, right, I kind of had this moment where I'm sitting there, I'm breathing heavy. He didn't submit me, which was rad. And um, I remember sitting there just like, huh, all right, buddy, good, like pat on the back. You didn't lose your, you didn't lose your mind and, and react violently. And dude, he looked at me, you know what he said, bro? He's like, Hey man, how did you stay so calm? And I was like, what? And he was like, I, I was, I was trying to rock you, dude. I was trying to get you uh, like emotional. And I wanted to slug him in the face and be like, you dick. Like, you don't know what I've been through. And you're trying to pull this stuff on me in a match. Like, I don't even know you, bro. I didn't say that. I just kind of, that even like doubled down the, the pride that I had in myself of like, hell yeah. This dude was actively attacking you. And, um, but I swear, bro, for the next few days, I'd look in the mirror and be like, who's this guy? Like, I'm not the calm guy. I'm the guy who's like wound tight and passive aggressive and nervous and scared. So dude, thank God for jujitsu, man, because where else would I have been able to have a laboratory of violence in which I could work out these variables? Yeah, I, I like that term there just now laboratory of violence that's never thought of that you know one thing that you um you know kind of said in there as well that just really made me think you know especially about the term jiu-jitsu is my therapy is maybe the term should be more jiu-jitsu is part of my therapy because beautiful you know you have a combination there because and and even for me when i used to go to jiu-jitsu before therapy and it, it it felt almost counterproductive because I go to therapy and she, you know my therapist she's like you know so how are things and everything was great everything was I, I was like I love life it, it couldn't be happier but then hours later it all crept back in so now it's kind of a flip flop where I go to therapy first and then I'll have jujitsu so that way there's a fair assessment for for my therapist to understand. But I know for me, it is kind of a double whammy. It does work both ways for me, where I also look at it as kind of a partnership. Because if I just go to therapy and I don't have jujitsu, I'm fine. But there's a, you know, rat's nest of things going on up here. If I go to jujitsu without therapy, yes, I'm happy. But later on, I'm going to have that crash that causes all types of issues that I don't you know, and then I'm like, where's this coming from? Um, so the huge thing about therapy, by the way, bro, is it needs to give you a toolkit. Any therapist worth his salt or her salt gives you a toolkit, like teach a man to fish, right? So it's mm -hmm. not supposed to be, I'm gonna keep you crippled. So you keep coming back to me. So I'm validated by your $150 a session or whatever you're paying, right? It's you're supposed to offer the client a toolkit. And then that toolkit, by the way. It, the, the, the number of tools you need in that toolkit depends on your family of origin 
and who you were growing up and how much self-regulation you already have. Because people who have well-balanced lives, you know, in their younger years, their nervous systems, everyone gets rocked, bro. Waves knock us down in life for all 8 billion humans on this planet. Okay. That's just the reality of entropy and the universe that we're in. Um, but self-regulation is where varying degrees of therapy come into play. Because if you can self-regulate 90% of the time, you just need therapy for that 10%. If you're someone like me and I, I could not self-regulate for about 99% of my life. I was dissociated that I needed a heck of a lot more. Um, I wouldn't say a lot more therapy because it's not about the hours. It's about the quality, not the quantity. The quality that I needed were, was again, words to explain. These are your feeling states. This is how you control your breath. So, you know, had I done jujitsu as a child, right? Then I would have already understood what a square breath is. I would have understood how to do a body scan. Am I injured? Did I just get injured or am I just hurt? Because, you know, we get knocked around on the mats, right? So you got to, you got to be aware of your body, be aware of hyperextension and hyperflexion and who's doing what to which ligament on your body. Um, this all plays into having a, a the ability to self-regulate. And so there's a lot of nuances to psychology, but I think it's dangerous to for a therapist to say, like, you've got to keep coming back to me forever. Um, because like everybody needs therapy in the sense that a, a vehicle needs an oil change, I believe. But again, like you were saying, your therapy could be, dude, you put on a song and it got you access to those feeling states and you're able to grieve and get it out. It's if things get stuck, that's when you need to see like a clinical practitioner. When things get stuck, I call it like emotional constipation. When something is in you and you're just like, I'm getting backed up. I don't know what it is, but you know, there's like a slew of dead bodies. And I just like, I don't know. I just sobered up and realized I smashed a bunch of skulls. I mean, to be dramatic and think of this as like a comic character, um, you know, it's, you look at your life and the fallout of behavior. And if there's things that you don't have labels for and they're invisible enemies, I don't know why this keeps happening. Then that's probably time to go see a clinician. Um, but like you said, man, it's, it's a part of it. There's, and I love, I love hearing about the toolkit because in my mind, and you know, you should have expectations of what you're getting from therapy and from a therapist. You don't go in there saying like blindly, um, just make me a better person. Go in there specifically, just like in jujitsu. Today, I want to work just on Kimuras. Today, I want to work on the Dars, but not the whole Dars. I just want to work on like the entry or how to go from stand up to a Dars, whatever it is. Um, same thing with therapy. I want just, um, I need more patience, or I'm always angry when it comes to this type of person who shows up in jujitsu or this, this phrase in life. And you get very specific with what you dig on and that's when it becomes actionable and, and personalized to you. So yeah, man, I, I mean, I have a lot of complaints about, about therapy as well. If people, you know, want to complain about it, I understand. But when you go through a healthy, like process with someone, it's about just like in jujitsu, you want to lear, learn a specific move. Psychologically, we should learn specific moves to, to keep ourselves healthy, you know? Absolutely. I always think of therapy and jujitsu actually in this way of, I, I think a lot of us need therapy and a lot of us will say we don't. I always say, give it three, take up your first session just to kind of get to know the guy or gal 
open up a little bit. The second one to kind of build a little bit of rapport. Then the third session to kind of determine if you feel like you need to continue on or you want to continue on. Because I always feel like that 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 three step is usually a, a decent indicator, not the best indicator, but it, it it gives you somewhat of an ideal. And I feel that way with jujitsu as well. When it comes to like you know your trial classes, you, you show up. It's like okay, what is jujitsu? I don't know. Then you know you learn a little bit. You know just how to fall. And I always tell people it's so important to learn how to fall because people don't know how to do that. Even if you don't stick with jujitsu, at least you know that first day you learn how to fall. If that's what they go over with you, at least retain that because we fall. People fall all the time. I don't I fall a lot at least. I don't know about everybody else. I, I fall more than probably any human should probably be falling. Maybe I should get that looked at, but we'll cross that bridge later. But you know, your second class, you show up and you're like, okay, now I got kind of a, a little bit of a feel for the warm-ups, and I have an ideal. I'm taking a little seriously in that third session is when you come back, you say, I think I want to stick around, or maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm gonna do Muay Thai instead. Because that did happen with a buddy of mine. He was like, I'm not going to do jujitsu. You guys get a little too up close and personal. I'm going to go do Muay Thai. And I was like, that's fair. I, like, I, I can't do Muay Thai. I hit shins once. And I was like, nope. Never doing that again. I, I think mm -hmm. I clanked shins on accident. It was very light. And I was down for like a week and a half. And I was like, I'm just going to risk my ribs back in jujitsu. Screw this. Um, I was going to ask about the book. Because... Um, you know, I actually uh, downloaded uh, an e-copy of it because uh, I always, always have a device on me somewhere. So it's easier for me to read that way versus carrying a book. I, I'm horrible at physical media and I, I'm i a child, so I lose things. I like, I, I like hear things. So I was like, let me just get a digital copy of the book. So I want to um, ask you. Um, you know, for the listeners here, if you can kind of just go over like a, a brief summary of the book, like give us kind of an ideal um, of uh, Backpack the uh, Rucksack, um, yeah, just man. kind of in a nutshell. Yeah, so um, I always forget my own subtitle. So the subtitle of the book is Insight into Leadership and Resilience by Military Experts. Um, I was in the military. I'm not combat deployed. I was in a non-deployable unit. So when I say military experts, it's not me. It's several guys in my life um, from different branches who taught me about leadership and so some of them are seals some of them are marsoc marines green berets eod's um, jet pilots um, helo pilots rescue swimmers all all the branches are represented in the book and i just so what happened was i left the army uh, less than a year ago and um i had a soldier who survived his suicide attempt my last week as a platoon leader uh, I was a combat engineer. And um, at the same time that Cody, so he wrote the uh, the intro to the book as a survivor of suicide, just um, giving people a word of hope and encouragement. Um, so my buddy Austin, I was talking to him about it. Uh, he's one of my best buddies from, from the Army. Um, he was a Marine before he became an Army officer. And uh, when I wrote the book, um, he, so 12 guys, from his unit um, after Afghanistan died by suicide. And after I published this book, the 13th guy um, killed himself. And I mean, double digits, you know, it's insane, right? That that's so unimaginable. It's so hard. I mean, just putting this into words, right, is one thing. 
13 kill themselves. But conceptually, I mean, how is that even, how is that even reality, man? And so I still check in on Austin. He wrote the foreword to the book as well, by the way. So I still check in on, on Cody and Austin, um, you know, just to make sure everyone's doing all right, bro. I mean, they're, they're alive. Thank God, you know, uh, especially with Cody, I could have gone to his funeral, man. That's like, and there's a lot of guys who've told me, Hey, don't take that for granted because I have a lot of friends who didn't survive. So, you know, they're the reason that I wrote the book. And I say that because I was processing a lot of weight after I got out of the military. Um, as if I had much weight, right? I mean, these compared to the dudes who've been to war and been shot at and blown up, I, I I tend to minimize my own issues because they're the ones that that did the damn thing. But I led these guys, right? I had a lot of peers who were, um, you know, in war, right? Purple Heart type situations, um, getting wounded in combat and whatnot, and um, so I thought about like what could I have done better as a leader? What did I do wrong as a leader? What, what, what's the reality of leadership when you're talking about emotional human beings with past wounds, but then also a very unemotional bureaucratic system of red tape that says mission first, right? Is it the mission first or is it the men first and, and women? I, I had females in my platoon as well. Um, and I write about them, write about some in the book, just advice from military women too. So, um, but these men and women are, are human beings, they're brothers and sisters, they're husbands and wives, but then the mission is go kill the enemy. Right. And as a leader, we can get caught up in, um, how we look right to higher ups, how quick we were there. You know, when did we get to the grid coordinate? Um, how effective we were and what we did. And I was, I was in the training situation where we were, we were training units to go deploy. So it was a lot of war gaming out in the desert. And, um, so so I wrote this book as a way of trying to inject objectivity by looking at the hard science of leadership and, and neurophysiology. I, I got a master's in psych. And so in this book, I cite and reference um, peer-reviewed journal publications on neurobiology and, and things of that to understand why be a healthy leader. What does it mean when you use kind words to somebody, neurologically speaking? Um, what does it mean when a black belt teaches you how to breathe to control your ego? What is that doing to the brain, to the left and right hemisphere, to your brainstem, to your prefrontal cortex? Because when you talk to a soldier about warm, fuzzy emotions, there a lot of, you know, my buddies who are NCOs who've been to war, you know, before they ever saw therapy, some of them still don't want to, they're not going to respect talking about feelings because they had to operate in situations where their feelings wouldn't keep them alive. Right. So where I connect with them is when we talk about the hard wiring of the brain, right? Because then that's what they respect. They respect the fact that there's an engine inside of their skull, right? There's a computing mechanism in their skull that at the same time can validate their feeling states, but they don't want to talk about feelings because they've had to compartmentalize and downplay that so much. But when you can validate the guy sitting across from you by telling him like, Hey man, your rev, your pistons are red hot right now in that engine. That's something they understand because you liken it to the vehicle in the field, right? If we're driving up with Humvees and tracked vehicles and 10 ton trucks right up the hill and for Lord knows, man, if it's 125 degrees in the desert, 
we've got to do a friggin' full stop on that convoy movement because something's overheating. There's something, there's a gasket blowing out coolant or hot oil on a soldier right now. We got to figure out, you know, so I try to tell them if we're going to maintain our vehicles and our weapons, why aren't you maintaining your brain? Because if you think you can go through all this stuff, um, you got to understand, and this is what I would tell the guys, when you're reacting to your wife like that, when you're reacting to life like that, when you're, I have a buddy who um, won't mention his name, but when he goes out to bars, somebody ends up with a broken jaw and it's not, it's never him. Okay. At some point I'm like, bro, you got to look at the situation and realize, man, like after three or four broken jaws, something's going on in you that you got to look at and you deserve to look at it. Um, and I, and I wrote this book to, to kind of mull this over in my own mind. And just to reprocess all the things that I did right, but then the things that I've done wrong as well. Do you know what I'm saying? I wanted an honest look. Um, so when I look at the soldiers, they were like my kids, man. They're like my kids, my my brothers. You know, I um, I was 32 when I joined. One of my best friends was 18 years old when I met him in, in basic training at Fort Jackson. And we started grappling together. He's a, this big boy from Ohio, right? The dude's got grips like... You wouldn't believe, man. He's 18 years old when I met him. He's what, 21 now, and um, still one of my best friends. Love this guy, and uh, so we we bonded over grappling on on just the friggin' hard concrete floors together. Um, but uh, man, I'm sorry, I'm just now thinking about <laughs> thinking about Brent uh, and those good times in the bays. Uh, but yeah, I I love these guys, man, because you know as a leader, I was I. I was an officer. Right. And so if I gave an order, they'd go do it, man. Um, and if it risked their lives, they'd, they'd get it done. There's one thing I learned about soldiers. It's they, they feel and look invincible when you give them a job to do. They don't have fear, man. They go in there and, and they do it. And that made me want to be a better leader for their sake. Because if I had an ego issue, right, they're going to feel that. If I'm so insecure as a leader and I need validation, let's say because I didn't get validation from my dad, I was desperate for validation from the guy above me. Then I would use my soldiers, go do this mission. I don't care about your safety. You're going to get to this grid coordinate at this hit time. And you're going to send me this message so I can tell the higher ups how good of a leader I look. Right. And then if I heard about like a, what if a vehicle rolled over and a dude got killed, he got smashed by all the gear in the vehicle, you know, there. Things get nasty fast when we're out there on that terrain and doing night convoy movements and all this stuff. And so it was so important for me to say, I don't care if someone says I suck as a leader. That's okay. Because if it keeps the guys and girls in my platoon safe, then I have to own that. I could have planned it better or they could have given better, better orders. But we, we try to do a real life combat situation where it's supposed to get hairy. You know, it's supposed to get complex fast, right? So um, so you have a plan, but then you go out in the field and everything changes, right? The second you step, everything changes. <laughs> like it's, it was comical, bro. Like it was comical. You knew exactly your mission until you turn on your engine and they're like, by the way, everything you planned for, you're going here, you're doing this. So everyone's losing their minds, you know? Um, but it was so important to just like, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of thinking about that stuff. So, uh, it was so important to check myself. Um, so when I gave those orders and I talked to those, those men and women that I was leading, that I was respectful to them, you know, 
dignity and respect regardless of rank is kind of my philosophy. Um, but that I, I let them know if let's say I'm stressed about something cause I'm getting, you know, barked at by someone else. I would let them know that like, Hey guys, I'm salty right now. I'm super pissed. It's not you guys. I'm getting chewed out on this end. All right. You guys are doing fine. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you see me act in a certain way, like I'm just, give me a second, just give me, and there are times where I drop on the, in the desert and just do pushups, bro. Just pissed off. Like, let me crank out 25 pushups real quick because somebody shouted something over the radio that made me want to like choke them out. And, uh, and so again, leadership is, is, it's a crazy concept because, you know, one plus one is always two until you throw your ego in the situation. You know, these, these problem sets, you're going to start here. You're going to move 30 kilometers over rough terrain and end up at this grid coordinate. All right, Roger, that's cool. You know, we'll find the routes to get there. But then as you're moving your convoy, you have somebody tell you like, you're not moving fast enough and I need you to go do this too. split up your element. Half your guys go this way. Half your guys go that way. Okay. Well, where are they getting chow? Where's the water resupply? Where's the fuel resupply? Like you're telling me to split everyone up. But, you know, I'm responsible for these guys. I can't just, you know, and they want to know too. Hey, sir, can you give us the details on this? No, just go. Like, I can't do that. I got to. And so, um, man, I'm really ranting right now. But anybody who's been in the military understands this. It's cool because this is what connects us as vets, the frustration that we all feel. But at the end of the day, it comes down to loving each other, man. That's, that's, I haven't been to war, but my buddies who have told me war zones are some of the purest places of love that they felt in their life because all they cared about was the people they served with, right? Their brothers in arms, making it back from their patrols in one piece. And I mean that literally in one piece. And they didn't care about how their uniforms look or who shaved, you know, it was about, are they safe? Right. And, um, it's so important to kind of lead with that in mind rather than on the back end realize you lost somebody whether it's to suicide or whether it's to an injury um because oh shoot man i barked that order out and i didn't really think clearly i flexed my rank or flexed my ego and i i didn't put into perspective you know their resources their vehicles their their um avenue of approach or whatever it is it's so important to give everyone a voice and yet at the same time be willing to override when you need to so it's a complex situation, man. And I wrote this book to honestly, as a way of easing my stress and anxiety after I got out and again, talk about jujitsu. I sh- and I'll shut up after this. I showed up to the mats. There's a guy that, um, annoyed me a little bit and I reacted a little bit disrespectfully to him. I kind of threw him, uh, we were doing throws, but I threw him a little with a little bit too much uh, excitement and uh, vigor. And so, um, he was cool about it, but he was, he was, man. Okay. So I apologized to him. Right. I told him, I said, Hey, that was disrespectful. I'm sorry. Then I went to my coach. This was after I got out of the army, like a couple weeks. I went to my coach. who's a, um, and he does combat jujitsu. Like we do strikes with him. It's, it's a really cool class. So, um, he's an army vet. And I was like, hey, coach, I got to tell you something. I just, uh, I just disrespected the guy and I, I reacted. I have a lot of anger right now. I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to tell you that because I didn't want that guy to tell the coach because I respected the coach so much. I'd be upset at myself, right? Disappointed at myself if he heard through the grapevine that I was disrespectful. 
So I went straight up to coach. And I was like, coach, I need to tell you this. So I told on myself. And, um, you know, he told me, he's like, look, you just got out of the military, right? I'm like, yeah, that's right, coach. And he saw it on my face, man. He saw it in my face. He's like, listen, you and I are going to roll one-on-one, all right? And anytime you need me to fight you, let me know and I'll do it. We'll go on the side mat. I train at uh, Jocko Willing's gym, right? So victory where Jocko's at. So he's like, well, go on Jocko's mat. I'll beat you up. And then we'll go back to class. And he's like, I don't care that I'm the coach. I'll have someone else. I'll grab another black belt, brown belt, whoever, have them coach the class. But I'll give you that attention because I know what you're going through. And I'm going to help you through that. Bro, of course I start tearing up. I'm like, geez, thanks, coach. You know, And he did it, man, because I showed up. He came out to me. Hey, how's it going? And when he made direct eye contact, guess where my eyes were? Right, I was looking down. I couldn't make eye contact. So he knew I was off. So he's like, hey, man, come here. So he pulled me. I'm trying not to get emotional right now. And in fact, I'm going to open mat after we get done with this podcast. I'm stoked, man. I'm going to go see Jocko today. But um, uh, he pulled me aside and um, man, he wailed on me, dude. But in love. I mean, he right submit submitted me, but he didn't. So as soon as I was, he's like, nope, don't tap. Don't tap. I'm not doing it. And then he'd switch up the submission, switch up the submission for five minutes straight. And I was, I was 110% just pouring it out. And he's just chilling. Coach is just chilling, right? Balling me up every which way. Choke. Oh, I want to tap. Nope. Let go. Submit the, you know, grab the ankle, grab the knee, break everything on my body. Um, not actually injuring me, but, um, and then, uh, dude, it was awesome, man. It was really cool because after that match, I mellowed out. Um, I accessed some feelings, dude. I started tearing up, uh, and coach was like, Hey man, hell yeah. I'm proud of you. Like you needed that. And and we did that, right? We got that out of you. And then after that, there's a retired uh, Navy SEAL who's there. And he grabbed me right after. I was like, hey, come here, man. Because he saw, he saw I was getting emotional, dude. He saw those tears welling up. And I'm not ashamed of it, bro, because these guys are warriors, bro. So if I'm going to cry in front of badasses like them, I know they got my back. So the the SEAL buddy, he grabbed me and was like, hey, man, we're going to, we're going to train some more, you know? And he, again, brought me, made sure I was in my breath, right? In my body. And, uh, Dude, it was brilliant, man. So um, I had no idea how much anger I had. I had no idea how much repressed emotion I had after the military. And uh, dude, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have helped me on a therapy couch. But you put me on the mats with these brothers, with these warriors, and it was a feeling that's indescribable. It's indescribable, man. And I I oh I have a debt of gratitude to them. I have to say, this is. <clears throat> probably one of the more emotional episodes there's been a couple moments here where i caught myself kind of tearing up i was like damn dude that he he he's striking a nerve (laughs) with me so thank you thank you for sharing all of that you know one of the things you know i was thinking about there especially at the end where you're saying you're not afraid to you know in front of these badasses yeah man hell yeah one one thing that i i always find i'm a crier I have no <laughs> issue with letting people know I'm a crier. It, it goes back to this thing, and I talked about this with my buddy the other day, and it, it's something that um, is being addressed in therapy right now um, and discussed. Yeah, once you get access to those feelings, bro, it's a lot easier for them to come up, for sure. That's that's the cool part. And by the way, if you can choke somebody out, 
Like I've been made fun of a lot in my life. Like, oh, you're sensitive. Oh, you're crying. Look, look, Dan's crying. I'm like, bro, say that again, dude. And I, I know how to put you in the rear naked. And not not even like overcompensating, but just that, just knowing that helped me a lot. Cause there's certain people in my life that um I can count on to be bullies about my sensitivity. But because of jujitsu, I'm like, bro, I've I'll fully own it, man. And if you ever want to see how sensitive I can get, if it, if it comes to physicality, like grab me, dude, grab my collar, you know, and just knowing that I could do that just makes me that much more comfortable owning my owning who I am. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And that's exactly it right there. You know, always remind people, it's like, look, I am a crier, but also remember, I can beat your ass. Yeah, so buddy. You have to <laughs> ask yourself, is it worth it? to poke fun number one but number two like you said you know you're crying in front of these badasses and i said to my buddy the other day in addition to that other statement is that the people that can beat my ass wouldn't make fun of me right for having emotions the people who can't touch me are the ones that got something to say you know say it from a distance and in and it, I said to my buddy also kind of in thinking about it, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm quick to go to violence when it's like, Hey man, yeah, I cry, but I can beat your ass. And it's like, mm-hmm. ah, maybe that's not the healthiest spot, but, the, but it's a fact though. It's like, if you want to be a bully about things, because that's where it's really coming from. It's coming from a place of bullying. Oh, you're crying. Oh, you're soft. Oh, you're weak. And I had a friend who, would make you know little snide comments like that. And he he fancies himself a man's man, a tough guy, badass, mm. blah blah blah, all this stuff. And it's like I remember his wife apologized for something. It was something simple. And he goes, "Don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness." And I was like, "I apologize all the um, I apologize all the time, and I'm far from weak. And also, I cry. As a matter of fact, I'll beat your ass, and I'll cry while I'm doing it. So just keep these things in mind." Watch how you talk to people. Be polite. Be nice. Like you don't have to. You don't have to overcompensate. You don't have to say these things and make yourself seem bad. And, you know, and strong and tough. I mean, just be a good mm. person. You're a strong person. Show you're a strong person by being reliable. By being, you know, loving. By you know, caring about your team, caring about your squad, caring about your family. You know, things yeah. like that. Versus, and, and this friend was at one point a boss of mine. Mm-hmm. For a brief period, and he wasn't a terrible leader, but there are times he would do things that made me feel like that. I, I've got some questions as to why you're bringing this up now versus when we were just sitting here for 20 minutes by ourselves and you didn't bring it up to me until we got an audience. So, yeah, it, it, it's little things flexing, like that, but flexing on it, yeah. And it's like, and, and it was always this thing that I would always, you know, again, remind him, you know, off clock. I can beat your ass. And, and the thing is, and I've just come to the real realization of this is like, it takes a lot more to just be calm about that situation mm. than to just unload on them and then say, yeah, I beat your ass because mm. no one really wins in that situation. Yes. I beat them up. I look tough, but also I'm an emotional person. I'm mm. going to have a lot of emotion to that later on in the day thinking about yep. it like why did i react that Ruminating. way you know so um it, like this this is all been like a big ass therapy session for me so 
Hey, real Good quick, year. I gotta say, I had to cut to a couple people out of my life who um, did exactly what your buddy did. Is they'd be one person in front of me. So as a dyad, we call that in psychology. But as a triad, you introduce a third person to our dynamic, they completely change. They flex. They posture themselves. They put me down in order to gain credibility in front of that other person's eyes. And because I had words for this, because I was able to understand the psychological implications of this, I was able to then say, I, I, I'd give them a few chances, right? Um, but then they, they, I had to cut them out of my life. Because if somebody in your life says, you, you tell them like, hey, bro, what you did hurt me, upset me, um, violated some sort of boundary, however you want to say it, okay? And they say, nope, you're just sensitive. Or, or they say, I didn't do that. Or I'm sorry, I didn't know I did that. I won't do it. But then they keep doing it. At some point that you have to remove that person. That's not a healthy person to be in, in a relationship with, in a friendship with, whatever, roommate, boss, I don't care what it is, your commander, you've got to create distance from that person, get them out of your life. Because um, they'll always try to introduce that cognitive dissonance because they're compensating for something. And um, there was something else you said that, uh, oh, about sort of, being nice to other people and kind to other people. And I want to say that like, obviously being nice is not a sign of weakness. And we learn this from black belts. Right. And what's important is that we're protectors of others, especially for those of us, like if anybody's listening to this podcast, who's been abused, who's especially as a kid, man, if you've been knocked around in a way or touched or hurt in a way that like complete boundary violation by an adult, like there's nothing better than being an adult who's a protector of others. And love can look violent if it needs to be. I mean, look at the military, dude. I mean, we're talking about, you know, shooting somebody in the face to protect those that are standing next to you, right? Who are in the uniform that you're wearing. And they're not apologizing for that. Yeah, there's weight to taking a life for sure. And I don't want to downplay that. But these service members, man, are willing to lay down their lives. And they're definitely willing to make the enemy lay down their life, right? To keep people safe. And so being strong can look super calm, just like a black belt, right? Super at ease in their skin, very gentle. But the second they need to execute a move, bro, people are flying feet towards the ceiling as they're crashing down, right? That's That, I think, is the beautiful part about jujitsu teaching us to throttle violence, to not be ashamed of it. And I always tell people this, man, especially young, young service members. I have a lot of friends right now who are in BUDS, who are going to be Navy SEALs, um, friends that are going in the green beret pipeline. And I'm just, I'm loving on these guys now that I'm out, you know, I'm just trying to tell them about leadership and teach them about their worth. You know, I tell them like, first of all, just because you're the lowest ranking guy in the room, doesn't mean you're the most unimportant. You're actually the most important guy in the room because who's going to get shot in the face first. It's the lower enlisted guys and gals that are going in there first. So therefore when we give us a brief as an officer, um, super important to acknowledge that their their sacrifice comes first so they have the most about they're the vips in the room that's how i i perceive them and um the second thing is i tell them because of jujitsu like don't ever apologize for your aggression like never apologize for the aggression you have um throttle it control it learn to respect it and learn to use it not weaponize it but to 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 correctly use it for the, you know, appropriately for the situation. So the, the level of violence you're getting hit with, you got to match that or you got to up it to take it out. Um, but it's important to do that, not selfishly, but to protect others. 
So again, we can talk about the philosophy of all this stuff later, but um, dude, this was such a fun podcast, man. I'm we can, I, if you want, we can go another freaking hour and a half. Easy. <laughs> uh, trust me. <clears throat> if if like, I looked at the day, so I actually didn't realize I thought I had someone else scheduled for next uh, next Sunday, and they text was like, "So we're good for Sunday, right?" And I was like, "Oh, what?" And then and, bring them on. We'll have a panel. I had to look at like my times with you, and I was like, "Okay, okay, he's on the West Coast, so this is all going to work." Okay, nice. perfect. Because like I like I, I oftentimes overbook my days, and I don't really consider like. You know, oh, bathroom breaks. You might want to go have lunch. Oh, you also have a family upstairs. You might want to go, I don't know, go play video games with your daughter, you know, talk about the day with your wife and figure out, hey, you know, you know, what are we doing next weekend as a family? But Mm. I get so, so racked up. And once in a while, I'll have like that heavy weekend where I'll do like six or seven recordings in like two days just to have everything stacked. So then I don't have to do it all later on. But uh, yeah, this was this was great. I would love to have you back on and just just you know talk some more because I do like I said I have notes and questions, but it's like we just went into conversation that was just so <laughs> much more like it, it felt more uh conducive to you know what was going on. It's like okay, I like this. Let's like screw these questions. Let's like let's talk, like let's open up and just put it on the table. And I loved it. Every bit of it. Like I said, this was a, a therapy session for me because there's a lot of stuff that you said that really, really hit home and got me really thinking. And you got some emotion out of me. So Dan, thank you for doing this. Thank you for making the time. Uh before we get out of here, any shout outs or mentions that you'd like to put out there into the uh podcast world for us uh, i mean first of all thank you so much for having me and, and giving me a voice and just on behalf of the joes you know thank you for hearing their story too and um if anybody uh wants to check me out they can go to my website combatpsych.com, and you can check out other podcasts and, and preview the book as well i hope it helps i put the nuggets of advice that touched my heart uh on the website so you can just you don't have to buy the book you can just scour it and um just one of my buddies, JP Lane. Um, he was he's a double amputee, uh, lost both of his legs in, in combat. Um, what was that? I think it was a 200 pound IED. And he always says this phrase, and I borrow it from him whenever someone thanks him for a service, he always looks at them in their eyes and says, You're worth it. And to any any veteran out there who's struggling, um, you know, who's thinking about not being here tomorrow, and you might be ashamed of stuff you've done stuff you've seen whatever it is in life man you're worth it seeking out whatever it is that's going to heal you um self-enrichment like self-understanding self-disclosure the process is ugly it's heavy but remember that you're worth it don't feel like you're you're unworthy because that'll keep you isolated that'll keep you stuck and so you know follow your heart and pursuing the healthy outlets in life start jujitsu find a tribe get in a group especially if you're a vet man roll with other vets and for goodness sakes man own the weirdness dude go to i dare you to go tell another vet that you're emotional and see them make fun of you because they're not if you tell another vet you're going through something dude we're gonna understand like hell yeah bro trust me you want to know some of the stuff i've gone through like let's dude, let me be there with you alongside you. Cause that's the love I got. I never ran into a vet or military service member, man on the mats 
who would ever look at me and say, you're weak, you're a coward, you're this, you're that. Never, man. They look me in my eyes, they'll give me that fist bump, and they'll say, like, I, I got your back, dude. That right there, I needed that, man. I, I seriously, and I still need it. And um, I don't want anybody else. Like, I, I didn't want to lose a soldier to suicide, man. And I'm lucky I didn't. Um, I really consider myself blessed in that regard. And I don't want anyone else out there to have to take themselves out. You know, and guys like Austin, who lost 13 dudes. I mean, that's not right, man. Um, so you're you're worth it. That's all I got to say. Uh, you'll figure it out. Just start with worthiness. And then you'll be led to the places you got to go to find that healing, man. Hopefully it's the mats. And if it is, come choke me out because I could probably use it. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thank you for that. And I'll be sure to put the links and everything in the show notes um, for everyone to find. As always, to everyone listening, thank you. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for listening. Uh, this podcast doesn't function without the guests. It doesn't function, function without you as the listeners. So thank you. If you have any questions, concerns, criticisms, feel free to reach out. You can find me at bjj.wiki on Instagram. You can find me at Off The Mats Podcast on Instagram. You can email me. And I always joke about this because I say don't email me because I don't really check my emails. But actually, I do because that's how Dan found me. So like, he so got much, the emails bro. and I was like, oh, my God, like this is a real this person. Is so not, cool, man. This is sick. <laughs> Thanks for giving me <laughs> so, a shot, dude. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, if you all need to get a hold of me. You can reach me through the emails. Just make sure it looks like a real email because I, I get some emails <laughs> that look like scammers. And I'm like, no, not happening. Um, I want to give a big shout out again here to our guest, uh, Dan Joseph. Um, go Thank check you. out the book, Backpack to Rucksack. Um, and again, I'll put the, the links in the show notes. So if you all are interested, please go check it out. Um, and just based off the conversation here, you know, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a good, a good sense of, um, you know, what he's trying to preach to us and what he's just trying to explain and, and help us to understand. So, uh, thank you to Dan. And then also big shout outs to my crew over at nerd rage radio, Bobby, Chris, Joe, Marilyn, Phil, uh, Ricky, Ticky. I, I, I don't, I need to write a list next to me. There's a lot of y'all, but shout out to you guys. If it wasn't for nerd rage radio, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing mm -hmm. this podcast. I, I started with those guys and decided, you know, it's time to branch out and do my own thing. And look at that. Your boy's walking now. I got my own legs. I'm a real boy. Um, also, another <laughs> shout out here to my other podcast. So you like horror. If you're into scary movies, if you're into just horror content in general, we've got, you know, some movies we've reviewed. We've got a uh, or a book that we've reviewed that we're going to be um, discussing and putting up an episode for very, very soon. Go check that out. It's called So You Like Horror Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, all the words separated by underscore So You Like Horror. And um, also, if you're on Facebook, we got the, the uh, discussion group going up now. So if you want to jump in there, talk about some horror movies, give some suggestions, give, you know, reach out so you want to be a guest. Feel free. Hop on board. Let us know. We have no issues with saying, come on, let's talk some scary movies. Um, otherwise, 
thank you everyone for just again all the support. Uh, and again, I know I didn't mention this a lot. Three years. Didn't think I was gonna get past three episodes. So three years in, and I'm loving it. And looking back at all the support from day one and seeing it still now is amazing. So thank you, everyone. You guys keep listening. We're gonna keep making these shows. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. They probably said. Now let me see his song.